everybody, and welcome to another edition of Black and Blue, a humane review. I am the titular blue, and this is the titular... I, like, I would prefer eponymous black. Well, you're not going to get it. Uh, titular black here, and this is a podcast you should know by now because you're one of the millions who are just getting swept up in this miraculous thing that we're doing here. Black uh, and Blue Fever. Yeah, but we're, we're going to, I'll set it up a little for you. This is a podcast that's exclusively dedicated to the serious and rigorous analysis of humanity's material. Um, I think that's fair. We don't pull any punches. Nope. This is the real deal. Okay. And on that note, we like to start with something uh, to get our minds going, to really explore the mental space. Uh, and this segment is called The Muse Speaks. All right, so for today, uh, it was another one of those days where old Doc B was down to the wire as far as picking something out to read. And so I just went to Wikipedia and typed in, what's a good poem? And I think you, you maybe Googled long poem birds. I use Wikipedia instead of Google as a, as a search engine. Oh, I see. <laughs> and uh, it came up with a lot of weird stuff, but eventually I narrowed it down to, to this poem, uh, Ode to a Nightingale by John Keats. Okay. It's stapled. So that means there's going to be something we got to do here. Folks, uh, make sure you're sitting in a comfortable spot. We are going to be here a while. All right. My heart aches, and a drowsy numbness pains my sense, as though of hemlock I had drunk, or emptied some dull opiate to the drains one minute past, and leapwards had sunk. Tis not through envy of thy happy lot, but being too happy in thine happiness, that thou, like winged dryad of the trees in some melodious plot, of beech and green and shadows numberless, singer of summer in full-throated ease. Only 13 stanzas to go. <laughs> and, and a stanza one. Oh, for a draft of vintage that had been cooled along, oops, one forgot an E and cooled. Cooled a long age in the deep delved earth, tasting of flora and the country green. Dance and provincial song and sunburnt mirth. Oh, for a beaker full of warm south. Full of the true, the blushful hippocrine, with beaded bubbles winking at the brim, and purple stained mouth, that I might drink and leave the world unseen, and with thee fade away into the forest dim. Is he talking about what I think he's talking about? I don't know what you mean. Beaded bubbles winking at the brim? <laughs> Nothing to see here? Okay. End of stanza two. Fade far away, dissolve, and quite forget what thou among the leaves hast never known, the weariness, the fever, and the fret, here where men sit and hear each other groan. Yep, it is what I thought it was about. Yep, where palsy shakes a few sad last gray hairs, where youth grows pale and specter thin and dies. Where but to think is to be full of sorrow and leaden-eyed despairs, where beauty cannot keep her lustrous eyes or new love pine at them beyond tomorrow. <laughs> Flipping the page. <laughs> end, of, end of stanza three. Away, away, for I will fly to thee. Not charioted by Bacchus and his pards, but on the viewless wings of poesy. Though the dull brain perplexes and retards, already with thee, tender is the night, and haply the queen moon is on her throne, clustered around by all her starry fays. But here there is no light, save what from heaven is with the breezes blown through virtuous glooms and winding mossy ways. 
so far so good. Ten we're, out of ten. We're one-eighth of the way through. I cannot see what flowers are at my feet, nor what soft incest hangs upon the boughs, but in um, embalmed darkness, guess each sweet wherewith the seasonable month endows the grass, the thicket, and the fruit tree wild. White hawthorn and the pastoral eglantine, fast-fading violets covered up in leaves. Someone forgot an E again. And mid-May's eldest child, the coming musgrows full of dewy wine, the murmurous haunt of flies on summer eves. Darkling I listen, and for many a time I have been half in love with easeful death, called him soft names and many amused rhyme, to take into the air my quiet breath. Now more than ever seems it rich to die, to cease upon the midnight with no pain, while thou art pouring forth thy soul abroad in such an ecstasy. Still wouldst thou sing, and I have ears in vain, to thy high requiem become a sod. <laughs> I know a sod. Thou wast not born for death, immortal bird. Immortal bird? Yeah, we're going to come back to that. <laughs> That's a little odd. No hungry generations tread thee down. The voice I hear this passing night was heard in ancient days by emperor and clown. Perhaps the selfsame song that found a path through the sad heart of Ruth when sick for home she stood in tears amid the alien corn. We just got through with Halloween. We just got through with the Halloween episode. This is getting creepy. The same that oft times hath charmed magic easements opening on the foam of perilous seas in fairy lands forlorn. Final stanza. And then we'll go back and start again to really give it a second, a second airing. Forlorn, the very word is like a bell to toll me back from thee to my soul self. Adieu! The fancy cannot cheat so well as she is famed to do, deceiving elf. Elf. Adieu, adieu, thy plaintive anthem fades past the near meadows over the still stream up the hillside. And now tis buried deep in the next valley glades. Was it a vision or a waking dream? Fled is that music. Do I wake? Or sleep. Fiend. I well would say read. well <clears throat> read. Yeah, great job uh, well reading. Performed. Yeah. Um, I mean, for abject nonsense, it's really good. I yeah. think you know. Yeah. Uh, there's no uh, uh, topic, as far as I can c- can tell. Um, there's not a story here. Um, I think there is a story. There's lots of made-up words like eglantine, mm-hmm. um, and which I don't mind. I mean, I don't, that that's not a uh, that's not a criticism. Yeah, this reminds me of the uh, Billy Corgan films um, in certain ways. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, who is who is uh, who's this guy? Uh, Keats. John Keats. Uh, John Keats. Okay, Keats. Keats. Okay, well, to yep. each his own. Um, yeah, I, he's clearly, I think, been reading some uh, some Corrigan. Is this like 2014, 2015? Yeah, I think era this is a more talking? recent. This is a more recent poem. Okay. Like Corrigan esque. Like okay, like in in, like Billy internet Corgan's internet school. poetry that yep. kind of thing. Okay. Google generates different words, puts them into an order, oh, and then that's, yeah. that's called a poem. Yeah. It, w- it worked out pretty well, I would yep. say. Um, what are your thoughts, uh, Blue? I, I have to apologize. I was pretty sure this was a poem by Michael Keaton. Uh, and that it'd be a poem basically oh, that a, would have like been a Beetlejuice good. poem. A Beetlejuice oh, poem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, now that you say that, this this really is uh, disappointing. Yeah, I thought John Keats was just another, like, just short for Michael Keaton. Oh, like, like, like he used, a, like, a like a pseudonym. Yes. Like, he just, cha- like, barely changed Or Buster him. Keaton. Buster Keaton. One of the um, two. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of pratfalls in this, though. Um, you know, I, I didn't understand a word of it. As it was coming out of my mouth, I was generally befuddled 
by its meaning. Yeah. This another. This is the problem with procrastination. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. I mean, I was trying to go easy on you, but this is not good. Um, yeah, I would take a little bit of extra time, maybe try out some alternative algorithms. Yeah. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, that is the best way to find good poetry. <laughs> We've said it before, we'll say it again. The best way to read poetry is using Google's algorithm as to what is a poem and what's a good poem. Like that that yeah. always bears good fruit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's taken well, us ask to Alexa, good in the past. you know, she's yeah. got some interesting things to say. That's true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like if my uh, ten-year-old brought this to me, I'd be like, good job, "Yeah, that's pretty son. good, pretty good, good job, kid." Yeah. Uh, but you know, inside, I'd be thinking, "Good God, that's <laughs> a terrible nonsense. poem. It's a terrible poem." Yeah. Um, yeah. The more I think about it, the more we reflect on it. Um, this is just not good. Yep. I guarantee that my future contributions will be better. More Beetlejuice themed, yeah. Kind of down the road. I, I mean, I hear, I'm trying to connect this to like like a Netflix show, uh, or to a meme, and I've got nothing. Yeah, is this English? And that's not a compliment. <laughs> For a large portion of this, I was thinking, is this is this written in a language that isn't English? It's, I mean, it's not quite. I, mean, I nobody I think... in any Netflix show in Fuller House, for instance. Right. There's no character that talks like this. No, I mean, I think this might actually be transliterated Phoenician. Mm -hmm. It kind of got that feel. It's got a Phoenician, you know? a Phoenician feel. Um, so, yeah, please uh, do a little better next time. Um, I mean, the length I've got no problem with. You know, we can do this all day with I, a good poem. Should I start again? Uh, yeah. Should we go through it again? Yeah, yeah I, think so. I think we've done that. Uh, all right. Well, I, I don't. I don't have the appetite for it. it it's. It's sickened me. Well, and and Mandy, you can cut out the second reading. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cut here. Very good. Uh, Ode to a Nightingale by John Keats. Put it in the rubbish bin of history. Stick to what we know best. James Franco poems. Um, that's just play it safe. Stick with just Franco. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that you really are going to have something to say if you're not a celebrity? Yeah, if you haven't been chosen to be in a movie with Seth Rogen, why why should I trust your decisions when it comes to poetry? Yeah, life is too short. Yeah, uh, yeah for non-celebrity poetry. All right, so trash bin. Sorry, everybody. Uh, that has been the Muse speaks. Now I have a little. There's the elephant in the room. This morning you were on stage giving a lecture. Okay. Was I? And there was a bit of a disconnect between you and the freshman students. I felt that too. Yeah, because you said. You were trying to inspire them to go on the Humanities USA tour. And right. what you said was, uh, instead of seeing art in art slides, you would get to see it in a museum in real life. And instead of gasps of horror, the audience seemed to approve of what you were that, saying. That was totally a joke. And no one laughed. No one laughed at it. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, on the real tour, and there is a real tour, on the real tour, I think we've talked about this before, right? We try to find uh, a nice staircase, you know, steps where we can gather, and we all pull out our phones and we just rip through art slides. Yeah. Uh, I, I find the Metropolitan the the Museum of Art. Of course, I will never enter that building, but they have a great area in front where you can sit and do that. You get a corn dog, and you just pull out your phone and you just really skim through some art slides, try to mem try to memorize them. Oh, yeah. so you're flipping through. Well, and we have, you know, we, we try to make it fun. We have competitions. You know, 
who can who can go through them the, the quickest, right? Who can get to the end of the slideshow first? Uh, then you get yeah. more dog. Under ostensibly mem memorizing them, who can just the fastest really just yeah. get through yeah. the slide? Yeah. So so uh, yeah, I, 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 I if if you were there this morning and you thought that I was being serious, I mean I hope by now you you know me well yeah. enough. I would never advocate Actual going art. into a museum and seeing one of those old stinky <laughs> pieces of art. Exactly. Um, okay, all right, thanks for, yeah. Well, I, I fired up our $12,000 projector unit, and uh, the titular black has brought us another slide for uh, our favorite segment, Talking yeah. About Art Slides. Cha-chink, next art slide. I am, um, Actually, I want us to spend some time with this. I, I think there is a certain virtue in efficiency yeah. when it comes to our slides. Uh -huh. But this is this is one that just screams for further expo exploration and study. And I hopefully this will redeem that form that um, you just did. <laughs> okay, so um, you know I, you know I love equestrian uh, paintings. <laughs> that that much we all know of you. I mean, you know, basically, if you looked at my Google search history. It would be steed, <laughs> fast. Haunches. Steed. Haunches in motion. Jesus. Yes. yes. Jesus, <laughs> southwest Utah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, riding, Equus, gallop. Equus nudity. Those kinds of, um, of, of Google searches. <laughs> and so, um, uh, but, but I decided to mix it up. There, okay. there is nary a horse in sight. In this particular you, you chose an art slide with no horses. I did, and uh, I think I deserve some commendation for that. So um, now my my colleagues here, and, I, and this might be a good time to mention that there is a scientist in the There's house. There's an actual scientist today. who can talk about art slides with the best of them. I know that for sure. Uh, Dr. Brian Easybake is here, <laughs> and uh, well, you, so I want. Dr. Isaac, I want you to, to feel like you can jump in here. Oh yeah, this is and, uh, free for free form discussion. Um, you're not trained necessarily in the no. in the well, art of the arts. analyzing art slides, but but I do good, love a good horse painting. Oh yeah, oh, good. So, well, good. you know, sometimes you hear people say, "Oh, it's not an art; it's a science." What I say is, art is a science. Yes, I'm, no, study, I'm known for saying that. Yes, exactly. It is virtually indistinguishable. <laughs> the anatomy of a horse. From uh, yeah. equinology. Yes. Okay. So, um, uh, I, without further ado, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm waiting, so excited I'm to, to share this. And I know uh, the, the audience, the listeners cannot wait to see the, this. The too. bearded bubbles are coming to okay. the brim here. All right. I just want you <laughs> to take a moment. And uh, I, I know. I know what your gut reaction is. Where's the horse? Uh, is this on the Sistine Chapel? Um, and where's the horse? Those two questions. Um, but uh, I just, I thought this is such a beautiful uh, work of art. You know, there's room for ugliness in the world. And then there's, uh, room there's room for dissonance. For dissonance yeah. But there's also room for uh, cherubic beauty. I agree with that sentiment. And, and that's what we have here. What, what, what stands out to you guys? Uh, it's definitely of the Thomas Kincaid ilk. Uh, so very... So very great is what you're trying to say. It gives the illusion of being amateurish, but in reality, you can see there's a lot of stuff going on here. To oh, yeah. To break down. I love to just put my fingers on the screen and play with it. And, and uh, 
and just you know look at some of those details because I mean this guy has labored over over everything. Uh, thoughts about the tackle box, guys? I, I really I, I feel as though that tackle box is a metaphor for what I'm still grappling. I'm still fishing Whoa, for the answer. Time out! Time out! To, you're saying that an object in a painting might not just be an object that it is. Okay. <laughs> All right. You got me. That's I was, a little that's, that's fishy. That's something I read on, fishy, when I was looking up John Keats on Wikipedia. And I was looking up his name and trying to see, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was in Beetlejuice. And <laughs> I came to this part where it was, like, the metaphors in his painting or in his poems. And I just... I, I read a line and I thought, if I said that, they'll think I'm smart. Yeah, I, I dropped the ball. It's, it's just, it's just a tackle box. It's sorry, pretty, everybody. pretty pretentious. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But it's a great tackle box. Uh -huh. It's, uh, you know, looks like it's very, very well cared for. Um, I think, you know, um, oh, don't. Here's another detail I don't want you guys to miss. Uh, this, this young man lost, confused, uh -huh. um, fishless. Yeah, so far, yeah. He has a little a stack of books at his feet. Can I? What, oh, here we go. Can Can you guys see that? Can you see what that is? Oh no, he's reading uh, smut. Basically, he, he's reading uh, yeah a, a kind of uh, pornography. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I, I think I think that this gentleman. Uh, on the, the right, long fishing pole. with a long fishing pole, which is definitely not a metaphor for anything, no. um, is he's he's trying to help this young man who is uh, gone down, you know, the, the into the, the the depths of of, of pornography, yes. addiction, and um, he's been just trying to catch fish with his bare hands, like a like a animal, like some kind of wild animal. And this yeah. this long poled fellow has come around to help him. Yeah, sort through his tackle, and uh, yep, and hook a big one. Yep, get that ball and tackle. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I uh, I love proverbs. You know, That's, I, that I seems and and I think you know there. I, I think this is a kind of visual depiction of a proverb. Um, you know, give a man a fish. For sure. Um, I think yeah, there are too many the layers. Proverb. I think there's, <laughs> I think there's too many layers here. But we we're we're not we're trying to impress. Uh, Dr. Easy Bake here, who is try who's sitting here, just totally confused. Like, these guys are talking <laughs> jargon. They're yeah, using jargon I'm not familiar with. It's like I woke up and I'm in someone else's house. That's yeah. what it feels yeah. like. Yeah, there's yeah. two dudes well, that's, yeah, like, that's over true. the top of the that couch yeah. just talking to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That happens to you guys too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, well, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. Use like using words like metaphor. I mean, that's a little, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but cause this is this is for every man and every woman, right? I mean, this is a this is in in some ways. Would you not agree? Uh, a, a poem about science, a poem about the mm -hmm. natural world, and in, in all of its splendor. Yeah, don't you agree? Um, yes, definitely. Good. He's Thank nodding you. vigorously I'm, I'm right vigorously. now. Vigorously, <laughs> I definitely know what's happening. He's right looking now. at it with a look like he's enchanted, like spellbound <laughs> with the the beauty of this yeah. art slide. Mm -hmm. Um, well, we, we now know what work will uh, will be in the foyer of the uh, Trump Presidential Library. It's this particular image. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, this is one of those cases where, 
there's, you know, w this is just appreciation. You know, there's yeah. not a lot to analyze here. No, uh, it's good just art does not bear any scrutiny. It's no. just see it, and it's literally what it is. And Did you it make you smile? Even if it didn't. You right. just say, like, hey, that's a bench. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I know. When I saw this, I was like, that is definitely a bench. And, uh, and I'm glad to hear you say that. When I look at art, I just kind of list off, hey, that's a tree. And it is a tree. That's when you know That's it's when good. You know it's That's good when you know it's good stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, um, well, yeah, great stuff, guys. In, in the lead up to this, it was really fun to to watch uh, the titular black really using his fingers on some horse images to just enhance, shrink, enhance, shrink. Yes. I mean, it was really fun to watch. Well, him. I, I like to manipulate. I'm a very tactile person. Yes, we've talked. The tactile of art slides, uh, that's their great beauty. They're, they're great lasting. Because no matter like what there. the art slide is, the screen feels the same. That's right. It's cold, and you can yep. manipulate it, and whoa, big, whoa, small. Is that a bench? These yep. are the things we say when we're talking about art slides. Yeah, and I hope this will model the kinds of discussion we want in our humanities classes <laughs> when we look at art. Uh, if you've ever wondered, like, uh, well, what, what, what am I supposed to say? I don't understand what the expectation yeah. is. Just say, that's a great bench. <laughs> yeah, the, the line is doing this, the shadows and the blah, blah, blah. Skip all of that and just say what it is. Yep. There's a guy. Hey, look, that's, hey, a, that's something in, in Young man, Donald Trump. Fishing pole. I mean, that's... That's an appreciation of art. That's actually pretty astute analysis. Yeah, it's the Occam's razor, you know, um, of uh, art analysis. All right, well, I think we. Uh, I think that was a slam dunk. Yeah, good, good segment, everybody. Uh, this is... Uh, now we're going to move on. We've already introduced our guest. Uh, our illustrious guest is here. Uh, and we actually have some questions. Uh, Ooh, a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Oh, good. We've demonstrated the extent to yeah. which we know a lot about art and poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, I think by, by now you're thinking, gee, could this get any more technical and, and specialized? Uh, so we've talked about that, but we don't, it'll surprise you to know we don't know everything. Mm. Very we, surprising. We don't know everything. Uh, we know a lot, and we know a lot about science, but, but that just means we have some great questions. We know about science, art, philosophy, religion. So yeah, I mean, pretty much everything. Yeah. But we brought a guest here to just confirm that, that we do. Uh, in a segment we like to call Black and Blue, Learn Something New. All right, so first question, just to get you warmed up yeah. here. Uh, how honored are you oh, to be on a podcast of this caliber? Long time listener, huge fan. Uh, uh, just dream come true. Mm -hmm. Just wait, counting down the days, literally. Yeah, yeah, like guess that's just the standard response. Yeah, so it's whatever I expect everybody I've, to I've say. I've listened to every episode multiple yeah. times. Good. Yeah. At, at what point in my reading of that poem mm -hmm. were you thinking to yourself, this was a really good choice <laughs> to come here yeah. today? I think when you pulled out the three pieces of paper <laughs> sure, together yeah. that you uh, knew mm -hmm. this was going to be your too. favorite if day. If you noticed, that's too. when I started checking my email. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, which is another, that's another, we, we, we talk about multitasking. Like don't it's just, like it's a bad thing. Yeah, right. don't just right. don't just pay attention to your poem. Check your emails. Go on Instagram. Like, you don't need to be a stick in the mud yeah. and just do one thing at a time when you're looking at poetry. Yeah, don't be a waste of space. Yeah, be productive. That's right. what I. That's my motto when it comes to humanities: is mm -hmm. be productive. Mm -hmm. 
Um, we have a we have a lot of really good questions here that I think you can use your wisdom. Mm -hmm. uh, these are questions that we came up with. Oh, good. But also, mm -hmm. students came up with oh, some, some of these as some well. Listeners so make sure listeners oh, yeah. submitted questions. Okay. Probably more questions that we can actually ask. Yeah, I, I think there's too many questions here for us, but we're we're gonna try. How much of your professional career would you attribute to the inspiration of Dr. Bunsen Honeydew from the Muppets? <laughs> Bunsen Honeydew. Uh, mm -hmm. Is he the one with the really skinny head? No, that's no. Beaker. No. That's Beaker. That's Beaker. That's Beaker. That's Beaker. Bunsen yeah. is the is the rounder one. He's yes. with the glasses. Yes. More rotund. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, if you can tell by my response, I, I would say Beaker has been more influential. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Of our podcast, like what we aspire to be, mm -hmm. we want to be the Bunsen Honeydew of the podcast, but we end up being the Beaker with, you know, in which is not a bad place to be, meets, right? Moves. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I I learned from science from Beaker is it's not really matter. It doesn't really matter what you're saying. Mm -hmm. What yeah. matters is you're saying stuff about science. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because, I mean, you're just the long-winded Bunsen with blah, 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 and then meep, meep, move, move. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well said. And <laughs> as a scientist, at the end of the day, your audience inevitably just hears true. beeps and boops. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, so you find the Muppets to be a deep inspiration. Absolutely. And I think that's where I wanted to raise this. You want to ask a question? Do you have a question for him? Um, well, I have. I, I, I jotted down some that's questions. That's my only question. That was the uh, only I, question I I jotted I down some questions yeah. from, uh, from our listeners uh, from Twitter. Um, uh, one of our most distinguished uh, students, Reese Brackens, has a real humdinger of a question. Uh -huh. um, and uh, thank you, Reese, for, for submitting this. Now, his question is, is the earth flat? Now, I think that's a pretty good question. I think a better question, if I slightly tweak that, um, the question would be, why is the earth flat? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that uh, the earth is definitely flat in some areas. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. So when I'm in example, Iowa, I'm like, this earth is pretty flat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Tell so a guy in Iowa. So if you the wanted, world is round. round. If you wanted Silly. to perform a science experiment, we could get a glass and fill it with water. Yeah. And if the earth is flat, we would expect the water. Like the glass would to tip, tip over. over. Right. Or, if, yeah. if if the yeah. earth was curved, yeah. or the earth was moving, we would expect the water to splosh out of the glass. You right. know a lot about science. I do. Splosh yeah. is a very technical splosh. term. <laughs> a lot of sploshing around. Yeah. Um. Because when I look at a picture, I'm like, that looks like a pizza pie. And sometimes I say, yeah, sometimes I say it with a cartoon Italian accent. That looks like, like a, a pizza pie. I'm pretty sure that's what the astronauts said. When they looked back from the moonscape, yeah. they were shocked back on Earth to they, find out. Yeah. They said, uh, we want the pizza. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I just walk up to, you must be able to walk to the edge of this flat Earth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's like this big waterfall mm -hmm. just into space. Yeah, cascades underneath. Into, into space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some people right. call those a black hole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's now we know the that sounds cool. Yeah, I'd like to see Science that. Science isn't hard, you guys. No. Science is easy. Um, isosceles triangles. Right. Nuclear fission. E equals MC squared. Right. Thoughts? All of the above. <laughs> True. Well said. Touche. Well, Touche. True, but a little trite, yeah. I think. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I'm, I think I'm over uh, all those <laughs> Over all those things, old, old uh, news. A little old tired. News. Yesterday's news, yeah. Um, okay, here's a real serious question mm -hmm. from, um, one, again, one of our finest students, Elizabeth Dykes. Yeah. Um, Two-part question. Who invented the moon? That's the first part. Mm -hmm. uh, is the process patented? Mm -hmm. 
or can moons be mass produced without fear of legal retribution? Mm. No, great questions. Uh, the moon was invented by Walt Disney. Yep. It was really a genius. I knew it. Uh, yeah. uh, I thought that yeah. was right. Mm-hmm. If there's anything good in the world, and you ask where does it come from, the answer is usually Walt Disney. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yep. Yes. Um, Can so, they be mass produced? Yeah, I mean Disney is pretty proprietary. Oh, that's right. That's right. They're, they're in the news a lot lately that. with the old films and what they're doing with the yes, old Yes, I've been reading so, about uh, that. Are they going to do that with the moon too? Mm-hmm. Put that one on the in the old back burner. Is that the fear that we're just going to not have the moon anymore? <laughs> it's going to be put in a storage it's gonna, bin it's gonna in Hollywood. It's going to be subscription only. Yeah, like sure. how many nights per yeah. year? How much do I have to pay to right. see the moon right. sometimes at is night? A, is a full moon more expensive uh, than a half moon? Which what is a, a great scam. model. You know, the market just sorts it all out. Yeah, you're right. right. I mean, right. you think you really need the moon, but are you willing to shell out for it? And if not, four ninety nine a month seems kind of steep for moon access. Yeah, because it's not like a, if it's a night, if it's like a new moon. Like I, like my my evening plans don't fall to pieces or something. You yeah, know. that's fair enough. Um, the moon is really a niche market. Yeah, that's wolves, right. Wolves, wolverines, yeah. sure. Bats, wolf, werewolves, werewolves. A lot yeah. of yeah. A broad wolf niche market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Elizabeth, I think we've answered your question. I think these questions are all really getting. Beans, beans, the magical fruit. Pythagoras is my favorite scientist. <laughs> He forbid people from eating beans, uh, probably because passing gas releases parts of the soul. <laughs> and I can really dig that kind of thinking because de- beans are nasty, right, guys? Uh, yeah. In other words, who's your favorite scientist? <laughs> <laughs> um, was, was any of that real? Was that from... That's true. Pythagoras that did true? actually forbid his followers from eating beans. From eating beans. Because he thought when you farted, part of your soul was huh. escaping your body. And they were presumably I think the jury is still out on that. Enclosed space, perhaps? Yeah, I think maybe he was just tired of his disciples coming in and tooting, right. tooting up a storm. To, yeah. yeah. Snacking yeah. the beans during those long lectures. Yeah. Too, many, too many beans. Right. It's like when I tell my kids, hey, if you don't pick up your dirty clothes off the floor, you're going to hell. Yeah. Kind of like that. <laughs> when I come in here with the titular black, and he's had beans for lunch, mm-hmm. I, leave, I leave here with my hair curled. <laughs> it's usually very straight. Get it straight to the dry up. cleaners. We are in Neuromas. a uh, relatively Pungent. small, not well-ventilated room, uh, so there are no secrets between us here. Yeah, that's true. There's, there's no secrets. You, you have another question? I think that was a good one. Wait a minute. You Did you answer who your favorite oh, scientist is? Um, I was kind of hoping to avoid that part of the question. Um, let's Covered see. Beaker. Covered Beaker. Um, I, would, I would have to go with Bill Nye. That mm. seems right. Yeah. yeah. Just very popular. He's very, he's Just fun. A, a he's a staple fun. of my youth. He, yeah, he was. I watched him as a, as a child, too. Mm-hmm. I was generally confused by what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of arm waving. Yeah, he was very, uh, he gesticulated a lot. Mm-hmm. That's the Beaker that. influence, I think. That's true. <laughs> Yeah. A um, a I, I've had a question that was uh, submitted uh, anonymously. I, I, I took a nap at home and I woke up with a piece of paper folded on my chest and it contained the following question. In your scientific opinion, and I'm interested in your purely objective, methodologically rigorous opinion, mm-hmm. if a guy dresses up like a My Little Pony character, is that cool? Which character? Uh, that's not specified, uh, but um, I don't know who uh, left this question. I, 
Like yeah, I, you'd have someone, to ask the person. Who likes horses, apparently. Yeah, some uh, guy who likes. Well, some up. people like horses. Other people like ponies. Let's some not people are different. And conflate the One two. guy likes to scan the haunches of, of of horses, and the other guy dresses up like a My Little Pony character on the weekends for conventions. Uh, cool. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Good. that's true. I think science says yeah, green light. So the scientific community yeah, is not, big, not bothered. Big fan of horse and such yeah. pony costumes. Is there any uh, cosplay among scientists? Like, do you guys get together, uh, put on wigs, uh, dress up like Sir Isaac Newton mm-hmm. and giggle and stuff? Is that yeah, the kind of thing that... Like, I've never storm. been to a, yep. uh, a, a science convention, but I assume that's, that's the kind of behavior you would... Pretty there. much how it goes. We arrive in our horse and carriages with our parchment paper. Sure, sure. And uh, read scrolls. Yeah. That's good. And that sounds awesome. That sounds that sounds great. Are, are My Little Pony characters welcome at that kind of like? I don't think they, no. I in I, this multiverse, do um, My Little Ponies. They're they usually the originators of the conference. Oh, okay. I, uh-huh. I think there are special there's special meetings for for those kind of folks. Okay. Um, I don't know who asked that question, but it was uh, a really good one. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whoever one. whoever uh, broke into my house and uh, left that question on my chest, uh, good job. Uh, as a podcast, we have a vested interest in the skunk ape, or to be more scientific about it, the wood booger. <laughs> on a scale, would you say the existence of Bigfoot is likely, very likely, or absolutely certain? Uh, I think I think it's absolutely certain. Good. Based on the fact yeah. that you've got Bigfoot socks on right Good. now. Good. You're reading the room so well. one would not make socks with Well, it's sort of like, face. you know, it's like once you discover gravity, mm-hmm. uh, you don't need to keep on dwelling on it and then proving it over and over again. You can move on to the next thing. Yeah. And I think that's what happened with Bigfoot. You know, proven, mm-hmm. uh, move on to uh, other, you know. Would you agree the scientific community is in, con- is in consensus on this? We, we say that there's... Um, there's not such a. There's no such thing as consensus in science, uh-huh. except in this case. Except on this one right. particular case. Yes. Yeah, I think um, you know a lot of people ask me questions like, yeah, but wouldn't you need a lot of them to keep the population? Blah no. blah blah. No, 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 no. No, that's science not. is not about questions. Yeah, it, no. <laughs> yeah. I don't answer it no. with a real answer because I think the question itself is misguided. The question is disrespectful. Yeah, mm-hmm. like don't ask me questions. Just listen to me. Now, have you ever participated in a Bigfoot autopsy or dissection? Um, on the bequ- at the bequest of the U.S. Because sometimes I see, you know, those those bodies on carts going into the science building. Uh, some of them are alarmingly and freakishly long. The, and John Lithgow is sobbing over them yes. sometimes. And I think maybe mm-hmm. the Hendersons have lost one of their best friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Care to comment? I would say that the, the, the science department has put a hurting on the local Bigfoot population. Uh, with our harvest and autopsy policy, um, so you're oh. like you're like the uh, you're like the Rangers in the Lord of the Rings. You know, right. uh, people are surrounded by all these dangers they don't even know about. Yeah, and you, you just very quietly, you know, sort of put, provide insulation from that dark world. Yeah, mm-hmm. with our magical swords, yeah. which is required <laughs> to kill a Bigfoot. Sure, I mean that that only makes sense. You couldn't just kill it with. Normal weapon, normal yeah. bullet, just yeah, yeah, by yeah, punch. That just makes it angry. Yeah, yeah. 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 We, ine- we we came to a place where we inevitably were going to come, which uh, was Bigfoot. Uh, any discussion about science has to e- begin and end mm-hmm. uh, with that noble, noble creature, handsome. He's, 
I mean, there's a reason there's a Bigfoot erotica industry. I'm yeah. not saying I know anything about that industry. I'm just saying there's a reason it exists. Yeah, and we're not trying to cast judgment on that industry. It I needs, mean, it who to... among us? Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's a, he's tall. He's handsome. I mean, I'm not you know, I'm not saying I'm in love with Are Bigfoot. Are we here I'm to tell Bigfoot that his body is wrong? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to body shame Bigfoot. That wood booger is <laughs> a handsome fellow. You know, he's elusive. He's got that kind of, like, Jane Austen, like, he's kind of off. He's, he's brooding. Yeah, he's kind of a Darcy. Yeah, he's definitely, yeah. A, he's definitely a Mr. Darcy kind of character. We're all a little intrigued. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I think that's also consensus. That's not saying anything yeah. controversial. We're not trying to push the envelope today. We're just kind of consolidating the, the results of science. And a, <laughs> a, man, a man saying that the skunk ape is a it's not in and of itself like some kind of tacit admission of, you know, attraction. It's just it's one guy saying one Bigfoot is... Look, is science is about objectivity, right? It is an objective fact that the body of Bigfoot makes the knees weak. Oh, That's not some sort really, of subjective... We're, we're delving into science so deep right now. We're just, we're really touching yeah, on... What is this, some kind of academic conference? I mean... Yeah. I'm sorry, we we so much jargon today. The the listeners are, are excuse us. I apologize. Uh, well, with all that kind of sorted out, I think we've covered enough of the questions. This has been Black and Blue. Learn something new. We've all learned something new today. Uh, our final segment is uh, expanding our horizons. <laughs> In the final segment, uh, we we take a turn, we 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 pivot from what has been a very jargon-filled, uh, mind-expanding discussion of the the symmetry of Bigfoot's features into uh, something a little bit less substantial. That is, think of it as dessert. Think of it as a dessert. This is just the filler. What we've been doing until now has been substantial. This is the fillers part of the segment, or part of the show. The cool uh, down. Yeah, this is, we're cooling our jets, cooling off. Uh, we wanted to talk today uh, more broadly about some developments in science that are uh, maybe moving us towards a future that some would describe as utopian, others would describe as dystopian. Uh, so... Dr. Eisenbeck, would you uh, maybe care to open the conversation? I mean, wh- when we're talking about uh, the future, mm-hmm. what are some concerns within the scientific community or discussions that are being had in the scientific community about the nature of being human as we move forward? Yeah, well, I think I think to talk about the future, I think it, it would be an interesting place to begin in, in the past. So in other words, if you look back at human history, humans have been shaped by revolution, right? So we can go back to the agricultural revolution, mm-hmm. which meant the slow realization of the you know, domestication of plants and animals that sh- slowly shifted the way that humans interacted with the world. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping them in one place, relying on milk or grain as opposed to hunting off the land. Right. And that's a revolution that was fairly slow and spread from different points, centers of domestication around the world. And it ultimately changed the way that humans 
saw themselves and interacted with each other in the way that they interacted with nature. And then the Industrial Revolution is another one that we could talk about where fossil fuels and the use of oil basically revolutionizes the way that we manufacture goods or the way that we mm. traveled across the country. And it changed the way that humans interact with themselves and with each other and with the environment. Mm. And I think that we're currently in the midst of a third revolution that's only gaining momentum and gaining speed. And it began as, as an extension of the information revolution. So now, um, instead of food or oil being the source of power, now it's data. Mm. So we, we live in an economy that's basically built around information. Mm. So those that have data on how the world works or how people vote or what they want to buy are the corporations or the political figures that ultimately are able to have more influence. Yeah. And so with data comes um, a lot of new risks and a lot of applications. So some, some of that information, for example, is used to um, generate biotechnology, so shaping new plants and animals using DNA. And some of it can be used to uh, even shape humans themselves in the ways that the ways that we interact with each other and the ways that we view ourselves and the way we interact with the environment. So um, one specific example is um, the fusion of technology and the human body and technology as an expansion of the human mind. So with the fusion of technology and the human body, we could talk about cyborgs. Mm -hmm. um, we could talk about enhanced senses and perception so what are some examples of that happening i mean i you know you hear about these new technologies that are enhancing human capacities yeah uh i think for some of us maybe we're just unaware of the extent to where like how far are we in this process what are some examples of this biotechnology in action yeah. that maybe the the everyday person would not necessarily know about so yeah, so like I use the word cyborg, so we can talk about, ba based on how you define cyborg, that could just simply mean a human that's augmenting their ability to function with technology. So if we go by that definition, then you and I are cyborgs, right? because we're wearing glasses. Right. Contact lenses. Right? Or contact lenses, <coughs> or hearing aids. Or um, there's a lot of folks that argue that we're cyborgs that aren't fully integrated yet, in the sense that we all have a smartphone mm -hmm. that would, you know, a few swipes we can access the majority of the collection of human yeah. um, uh, scientific discovery and information. Um, and so it's just a matter of time. I mean, just because our phone isn't attached to us, mm. it's still a tool that we can use to enhance you know, our GPS location or to communicate mm. or to figure out our elevation or whatever. So our phone is an access to human knowledge. Um, and it's only a matter of time until the phone becomes, you know, the, the software on the phone becomes integrated with. Well, there is the person. guy who had the USB port installed yeah. on his body. So, yeah. uh, and I've been looking into that. Yeah. Uh, there's a guy downtown who does that for a really reasonable <laughs> He doesn't place. look like a scientist, <laughs> but he is. I actually feel bad for that guy. So he, had, he lost a finger in an accident and they installed a USB drive in his finger. And, oh, in the prosthetic. In the prosthetic. Yeah. But USB drives were, so, I mean, when was the last time you carried around a USB drive? Right. 
Right. So I feel bad for the guy. Yeah, it doesn't seem yeah. like something he, he you actually want. He needs an upgrade. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, what, what would you say to, what, what are we supposed to say to people who see this as just another step in human evolution? And so he would say, you know, the, the, the human history is full of these memes, right? Not memes like cool My Little Pony memes. We're talking about memes that are writing, the development of writing as a way so that we didn't have to relearn things from scratch. We could, ha we could have this archive of information right. that then allowed us to take steps forward. Now we have these smartphones that are, have a higher capacity than the archives of the past. It's just another way to get knowledge that can kind of run itself and mm -hmm. the human is freed up from labor to yeah. do something new or different. Uh, wh what do we say to the, to people who might see this as just the next step in that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it is. I mean, I yeah. think if we look at human history, it, like like you were saying, humans have excelled in outsourcing. Mm. So the agricultural revolution is, hey, instead of me catching wild game and uh, finding wild fruits and berries, mm. I'm gonna have animals like, in a pen. They're right. gonna eat the fruits and eat, or eat the grass and then I eat them. Or the industrial revolution, right? I'm gonna outsource dinosaurs that have been dead for millions of years and burn their Right, <laughs> burn right. their burn their carcasses to power my yeah. coal plant, um, and I think now um, we're outsourcing our intelligence. So one of the things that makes us human is um, a sense of imagination, right, and, and intellect that helps us um, imagine the world through someone else's someone else's eyes or predict the future. And now we're trying to install artificial learning systems that basically do that, not only in the same way that we do, but do it even better. I mean, is, is the, the case could be made that, you know, let's use the example of a driverless car. Right. Uh, you know, people are going to argue that humans are so imperfect. We can statistically say that the computer's bound to do a better job than, than we humans who screw it up over and over again. So it would be safer for us on the roads if we could just have stop driving and let the machine do it. Right. Uh, so I guess, you know, I, the assumption is maybe that we're losing something invaluable to being human, but there's a counterpoint that might say we're going to be safer, we're going to have less, we're going to be less tied up in labor and menial tasks. M we could have a, an easier or better existence as a consequence of these developments. Right. Do you think that's a valid point? Or do I you think, think both are valid points. I think at any, any time there's any new technology, it always is promoted with the promise of a better future, mm. right? So fossil fuels bring, I mean, compared to burning wood, that's, you know, burning coal or oil brings so much more energy to a process that it, it made us, it allowed us to manufacture goods so much more efficiently. Mm. The negative is, you know, the weaving industry went out of business, right? Um, or we decide to use some of that energy to power tanks or jets or you know so any technology is going to have it, it depends how we use it so I, th I, th I think with autonomous vehicles for example yeah. Uh, yeah I think if we could get if we could figure out how to program vehicles in a way that they were all communicating with each other mm. and they're all sharing their information yeah and if someone steps out in the street or a car pulls over you know has a flat tire they all communicate mm -hmm. yeah and and we avoid injury just through the computer hive mind yeah. that's sensing the environment better than a single individual human could. Mm. 
that's beneficial. Yeah. But when the system goes down, right. Well, and not just <laughs> right. when the system goes down, but also think about all that data that's being collected about your whereabouts, right? I mean, it seems oh, yeah. like there is a civil liberties kind of, and we're already in it. I mean, this is yep. not a, a hypothetical, right? I mean, every time we get on the internet, uh, we're leaving a, a trail. A horse-related, uh, a horse-themed uh, trail. A, a steamy, <laughs> yes. Um, an, un, an unnatural <laughs> trail of bizarre uh, searches. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, so you could say, well, you know, we're already kind of doing that, uh, but that's not really an argument for sort of um, just removing all the, the, the barriers and sort of just saying, okay, you know, my... Every time I go to the grocery store, somebody's going to know about it. Um, we, we may not be able to imagine what some of the negative repercussions of that might be down the line, just like people who were burning fossil fuels could not imagine climate what some of the repercussions change. of climate change and so on. Right. Um, so uh, I think that's certainly a concern, and particularly you know, like cyborg technology and sort of having machines integrated into the human body, yeah. um, th th there does seem to be something important lost just in terms of uh, liberty, autonomy, and all that. Yeah, and in science there's something called uh, Collingridge's Dilemma, and this is the idea that when there's a new technology, um, you can either regulate it or not regulate it. So use Facebook and Twitter as an example. So 10 years ago, they were they barely existed right they right. weren't it was such a huge influence on culture and on our lives as they are now so initially you want to allow these new technologies these new in this case social platforms mm -hmm. you want them to expand and grow and to figure out you know to, to exercise their rights in a capitalist economy in the, in the case of the United States so you don't legislate them you don't regulate them yeah and if you do then you end up you know, squashing the ability of that industry to grow, or you right. end up limiting the application of that technology to everyone. Yeah. But then you run the risk of if you allow it to grow and it becomes influential and it becomes yes. integrated into our lives. Too big to fail. Th yeah. Then how do you regulate it at that point? And I think, I mean, I think you mentioned the cyborg issue, you know, the integration of technology into human bodies is really interesting. So right now, if some guy wants to implant a USB in his finger, or um, if you want to have install some sort of hearing aids, you have supersonic hearing. You know, sh is, should the government step in and regulate this now? Mm -hmm. Should we have cyborg laws that limit the integration of technology into the human body? Yeah. And if we don't, well then what's going to happen down the line when, you know, you know, installing night vision optics into your eyes right. becomes a status symbol for the. For the Instagram influencers. Well, and, and when I think also wondering when we are going to romanticize the uh, romanticize human freedom or romanticize these older ideals that we may have had uh, that we may now not need anymore. I, is it possible that we may be moving forward into a place where we can get rid of some of these dusty old ideas about what it means to be human? And advance into a, a better world that uh, that maybe is more efficient, is more less uh, harmful. You know, I is that a possibility that maybe we're just clinging to outdated ideas? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 possible. Yeah, but I think that I, mean, I started by 
talking about how we're in the middle of a revolution. Yeah. And I think that when you're in the middle of it, sometimes you lose perspective on where you've come from mm-hmm. because your world is changing around you. And sometimes it's it's always very difficult to project into the future. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you behave in the middle of a revolution? Right. Um, so, so I don't know. I think... Is I this, think does this have to do with... Uh, the difference between pure and applied science, like, is this, are, are we having to pay attention to the argument that like science should go wherever it needs to go, that it should just kind of be given carte blanche because human inquiry cannot be stopped versus kind of an applied science of like, we need these kinds of technologies to service these needs. Uh, you know, I, I think some people would probably make the case like, oh, science is just going to do what it's going to do. Yeah. Right? I mean, like someone will discover it. Yeah, I mean, some people definitely say that, but I think that if, if you look at a situation like human genome editing, perhaps mm-hmm. last year you saw the story of the the Chinese researcher who edited the genomes of yeah. of two babies That's so right. they would be uh, immune to HIV. Mm. Uh, I think that research was condemned almost universally Mm. by the scientific community as unethical. Mm. But that's one of the problems where um, individuals in in our modern society have so much power, we have so much access to information and technology, that if you have 999 scientists or people Mm. who say something is bad Mm. and shouldn't be done, if one individual, the 1,000th individual, has the capacity to do it, then he or she can do it. Do it yeah. So that, that's where, and again, you go back to the dilemma I mentioned where you want to set up a system where uh, free enterprise and, and um, curiosity and scientific exploration help build tools for a better world, yeah. but at the same time, how do you prevent a heavy-handed Orwellian 1981 bureaucracy from right. ha- stepping in and regulating every single experiment or right. limiting its application. It seems like a difficult line to walk. Um, you teach at a school that is, you know, some of the listeners to this are going to be humanities students who are kind of reluctant into science, who are kind of forced to take science classes. You're going to have science students who are reluctant and kind of forced to take humanities classes. I wonder, based on what you've been talking about to this point, it's the last question I would have is, uh, how do you see, for these Milligan students, using their education to address some of the concerns, or some, I guess not even concerns, but just the roadmap that we're looking at at this point? Uh, How does their education prepare them for that? What should they be doing in their education to get ready for this future you're talking about? Yeah, well, well, hopefully, um, during their four years in undergrad, especially at Milligan, they're going to interact with Studies. So through humanities, start wrestling with the question of what does it mean to be human? And I think that hopefully in science classes, and some more than others, they're going to interact with some of the implications mm-hmm. of science. And in terms of, I think it's important that students recognize um, how much science has the potential to affect their lives currently and in the future, mm-hmm. whether it's autonomous vehicles or genome editing or integrating software into your body for enhanced perception mm. of light and sound or whatever. I think education is the step, step number one. Mm. Because if you want to have conversations about how to regulate it or how to control it 
for what you should protest or what you should vote for yep. or vote against, then a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. Absolutely. Um, well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us on this podcast. The first half of which was <laughs> eye-opening for you. Very eye-opening. Eye-opening for you. Is that about faking a seizure at one point? <laughs> During the poem, <laughs> halfway through the poem, so much I saw fake. him kind of like the machine started working in his head like, ah, maybe I could fake maybe. having a heart attack yeah. and we could just shut this thing down. <laughs> uh, so this has been a wonderful uh, interview for us, and uh, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right, this has been another edition of Black and Blue, a humane review. See you next time. This recording is a production of the Milligan College Faculty Resource Room. Thank you for listening.